Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 193 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. It's Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we got a small crew today. Chris Van Meter has something going on. He's not here today, but thankfully, Richard, owner of MTG Goldfish, is here. How's it going today, Richard? Uh, it's going well, Seth. What's going on? Uh, not much. It's actually been sort of a weirdly quiet week. I think everyone's just playing Guilds of Ravnica standard, and, and there's no real big tournaments, though, so it's kind of a weird news week as far as Magic is concerned. So we're going to jump around to a few different topics. We're going to touch on standard a bit. Guilds of Ravnica standard, while we didn't have any huge tournaments this week, we did have some like online PTQ, some Moto results, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Also wanted to talk about Mythic Edition, which dropped last week. Uh, Wizards announced the Player of the Year playoff and some stuff attached to that that's kind of interesting. We're to the top eight of the Magic Bracket, and then, of course, Fish Mail. So we're just going to kind of jump around from topic to topic. Might be a bit of a shorter cast, but it should be fun nonetheless. So anyway, before we jump into the topics, a quick reminder that our show today is brought to you by SpikesAcademy.com, which is the world's first Magic the Gathering e-learning academy. They have some online courses by really great players like Paul Vito Damadora, Rosa and coming soon Reed Duke. So check them out over at spikesacademy.com. You can get 10% off with the cold goldfish and to learn more go to spikes underscore academy on Twitter. So thank you to them for their support. And with that out of the way let's jump into the cast. Richard have you been playing any standard? Uh, uh, no, I have legitimate reasons. Uh, I don't have legitimate reasons. So, so part of the problem, I, I talked about this briefly last time, is I'm waiting to see how to use my wild cards on Arena. And then we briefly discussed testing on Moto <laughs> so that I could craft the right cards for Arena. But then I never got around to it. And the fact that we don't have kind of Grand Prix or large SEG events to kind of see what the meta is makes me hesitant to to play so that was a long long excuse to say no i did not play any magic set <laughs> uh yeah that is that is a weird side effect of arena that i didn't really think of and the side effect of the pro tour uh, doing the like six weeks after set release thing we're still like a month away from pro tour guilds of ravnica so it is kind of weird and you do have this like paralyzing fear of not wanting to waste your wild cards so that is it is funny that you say that i have been playing standard and i've been enjoying standard like it, it is at this point like you would hope with the new set release pretty diverse a lot of stuff going on the big development recently though is uh, the biggest tournament of the weekend was actually a ptq on magic online and it was pretty much dominated by golgari golgari midrange is a deck that seems to be doing pretty well the top eight i believe was six copies of golgari midrange along with white weenie and one sort of like jeskai to fairy crackling drake control deck and then there was a bunch more golgari deck kind of mixed in through the rest of the top 32 as well. So that's kind of been the big topic of the last few days. I mean, we have other decks that are doing well. Boros, Mono Red, Selesnia, various control decks, Grixis with like Dragons, Esper, Jeskai with Teferi. So it's still a very diverse meta, but people are kind of wondering about this Golgari deck. So Richard, um, what do you think about Golgari? Like, do you think that this being what, like a week after the set release and still a month away from our Pro Tour, is this worth freaking out about? I saw some social media posts like, oh my god, standard is ruined already! It's six Golgari decks in the top eight, but uh, what do you think? Is that a little bit too early to be freaking out over uh, diversity and standard? 
Well, when in doubt, jund them out. And <laughs> <laughs> these black-green mid-range decks, you don't need red anymore. You got Assassin's Trophy. Like, you got the removal. Like, why why add the third color? And it's very hard to play the third color. So people are just playing powerful, mid-rangey good stuff. Now, what I see here, though, uh, looking at the PTQ, is you have many Golgari mid-range lists, but they're all quite different like they haven't really solidified on their removal package like some are playing ritual and suit uh some are playing dead weight some are playing fine finalities like the, the numbers are all over the place so there is not really a tuned list and that that i don't know that tells me there's no consensus best list yes we know the black green cards are pretty good but i i wouldn't give up hope yet i mean that's way too premature we haven't had a pro tour uh, we, we haven't even had a big camera on, a big event on camera. So, too premature and not surprising that Golgari is good because the cards are just so good, right? <laughs> like, it, it's kind of funny. Do you remember? So, on Arena, with the way the beta developed for a while, we basically had like Ixalan block constructed. And during the Ixalan block constructed period of Arena, it was Green Black Explorer that was like one of the really good decks in the format. I remember you like selling me on Wild Growth Walker being really good. And now, uh, just like it used to be when we actually had block constructed, we kind of see that Explorer deck developing into a real standard deck. Like, as you mentioned, there is uh, no consensus. Some decks are going bigger for Planeswalker, some are more aggressive, but a lot of the decks are on the Explore plan with Wild Growth Walker, following it up with like Seeker Squire and Branch Walkers and Jade Light Rangers and just making their Wild Growth Walker into a really big life-gaining threat. So it's kind of funny to see how the metagame from the weird time on Arena when you didn't have all of Standard actually did kind of predict future Standard to some extent. Yeah. Wild Growth Walker, <laughs> it's a beating. If you put that thing down and Jade Light Ranger, like, no aggro deck can catch up. Uh, yeah, it does just destroy the red decks because their removal, like, red mostly, their removal goes up to, like, four toughness. And you already start with a 1-3 with Wild Growth Walker. So if you can have that Jade Light Ranger and go to five toughness, boy, is it hard for the red deck to beat it. Like, it takes multiple removal spells if they even have them. And it can just run away with the game. I actually have been playing the deck a little bit. Uh, Gab Nassif has been playing it. So I picked up his build and was trying it on Magic Arena. And I actually had a game where I... <laughs> I was playing Mono Green Stompy, and my Wild Growth Walker, by the time we got to the mid-game, was stonewalling Carnage Tyrants and, like, Galtas. It was just so big that they couldn't get through, so it seems pretty sweet. Does this deck make you want to pick up standard, Richards? It seems like, being a Jun player and stuff, uh, is this a deck you'd be interested in? It seems like your style. Ah, uh, uh, this is how Arena changes everything. It is, like, the perfect deck for me. I love grindy mid-range, but when I think about Arena, I'm thinking matches need to go fast, I need to grind more gold, like I don't want to sit here locked in a 45 minute epic battle of like a million Planeswalker activations. So I don't know, I, I feel like I want to find an even faster aggro deck and even if I win less, like over time I'll just get more gold because I can get uh, more reps in. So. I don't know, Seth. Arena's like changing like everything about how I play Magic. I, I'm no longer gonna judge about this. Doesn't seem right. <laughs> uh, that that is that is weird. But I think that's actually true. Like if your goal is just to grind, you want a fast stack that uh, that does uh, grinds as efficiently and as quickly as possible. Have you so, seen? Oh, go ahead. Oh, I got a question for you, Seth. So one one the Golgari Queen Vraska was spoiled. The four CMC Planeswalker was spoiled. 
We all kind of said, hey, if you want to play this card, you can't just jam it in any deck. You kind of need a build around it because you want stuff to sacrifice. But what I'm seeing here in Golgari Midrange is pretty much everyone is playing her. Uh, there's a split between the small Vraska and the large Vraska, and then we also see some decks throwing in some Karns for good measure. But I don't also, see, like, token fodder. So how do you think people are playing this, and do you think, you know, we're, we're wrong? You just sack a land for value, and you're good to go. Yeah, I think that part of... The deck is sort of built around it. So it kind of... It walks the line a little bit. You're not built fully around Veraska, but you are looking to get things in your graveyard. So what the deck mostly does is you can sacrifice your random, like, explorer creatures, branch walkers and seeker squires and so forth, to your Veraska, and then you have things like Golgari Finebroker to get it back. You have Fine Finality, which has been, like, a breakout hit in this deck. A card that I think when I first saw it, I was like, yeah, like, double raised dead is nice, expensive languish is nice, but it has proven to be very powerful in these graveyard decks because you're just getting back two really good creatures. Even like sacrificing your Chupacabra, it doesn't seem great, but when you consider like you can get that back with Golgari Finebroker, which only hits permanence, or Fine Finality, which only gets creatures, and you get another removal spell, there's actually more Veraskus energy than you than you would think at first glance. So you're not fully built around it, but you can take advantage of getting creatures in and out of your graveyard. I think the more interesting Planeswalker to me has actually been kind of the emergence of Vivian Reed. I've seen most of these decks, main deck or sideboard, are playing some number of Vivian Reed, and that was a card that when it came out, not a lot of hype surrounding it, but it's actually proven to be pretty powerful, like generating card advantage, and then suddenly we're in this format where the control decks, and even some of the aggro decks, like Boros, are using big flyers for finishers. You have, like, Crackling Drakes, you have Niv-Mizzets, you got Nicobolases, you got Aurelias, you got Lyras, so there's all these big flyers running around, which means that the negative fear on Vivian Reed actually ends up being kind of like Obnixilus a lot of times, where it really is killing your opponent's best creature, so it's been interesting to see the metagame develop in a way where Vivian Reed went from essentially unplayed before rotation to like at least a sideboard staple and often a main deck option in these decks. Yeah, and oh, we can't forget about uh, Argyle's Bloodfast too. Some people are still playing this card, uh, gotta, even gotta though those cards. <laughs> we have so many players. There's just so much card advantage in this deck. Like all your creatures explore. They have enter the battlefield triggers. You can bring them back with fine finality. You have a million planeswalkers, and then you have Argyle's Bloodfast. If it all really goes wrong and you just actually need to raw cart, uh, draw cards. A couple other things I wanted to mention about standard before we move on. One is, have you seen the mono blue tempo deck, Richard? Uh, it is, it's kind of been around for a while. The curious obsession, mm-hmm. blue aggro deck, but this deck has suddenly turned from like a, a budget option that was a fine deck to try to grind some cards with on arena or whatever into like a real deck. It's top eighting tournaments. It's five owing leagues. So if you're interested in trying to play competitive standard for as cheap as possible, the deck is $51 in paper, $51 for a deck that is actually top eighting paper events and 12 bucks online and on arena, you need like six rare wild cards, I think, or something. So no matter where you're playing standard, I think this is like the go to budget option for the format. And it actually seems pretty legitimate. It's extremely, extremely cheap. Oh. Man, and it's actually, have you played against it at all? Oh my god, that deck is annoying. Oh my god. <laughs> they have so many counters. 
they they play they play these horrible cards that you feel like okay and it's a miscol carol but miscol carol it's standard i don't need to be scared about that and then they like put a curious obsession on it so they're drawing a card every turn you try to kill it they dive down then they just keep drawing more and more counters and more and more dive downs and things spiral out of control and it is it is so brutal to play against so i've actually seen the deck look pretty good the other interesting aspect of standard right now is if you just scroll over the results the format is very heavily influenced by the shock lands that we have if you look at the color combinations we're seeing grixis we're seeing uh we're seeing grixis we're seeing abzan as far as three color combinations we're seeing jeskai as far as three color combinations so we're seeing the three color combinations where you have access to two fetch lands so right now the other color combinations like the espers which only have one fetch land uh jund which only has one fetch land are kind of relatively unplayed because of the mana so i'm actually really excited for how standard is going to develop because i think we're going to see a big shakeup once we get the winner set where all of a sudden all these other three color combinations become playable because their mana base gets better plus they're going to get an infusion of cards with the guilds uh, in the second set yeah in addition to the shocks you you just have the guild cards as well because we just had guilds of ravnica Anyway, any other uh, standard thoughts, Richard, before we move on? Nope, but your your story of the model blue aggro kind of reminds me of Delver. When Delver <laughs> popped up, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, someone finally made this 1-1 one, one work. Because back then, no one actually thought Delver was, like, you know, a legitimate threat that would be, you know, an eternal staple. And then people just kept getting beat with, like, what is this, Vapor Snag, Snapcaster Vapor? Ah, what's going on? I'm uh. dead. <laughs> That's what that's what it sounds like. So maybe this actually becomes a really, really good deck and uh, format defining. Yeah, and I'm just, I mean, really, I'm mostly excited because it's a very playable $50 deck. And that's one of the things, I just love to see that in a format where there's like an actual legitimate, really cheap option. This is a deck that even if you're first starting off on Magic, you can be like, all right, buy this deck. It's only 50 bucks, which is a great deal. And you could be like legitimately competitive with it. So we've had some formats in the past where it felt like the budget option was missing and you kind of had to pay $300 to get a tournament playable deck. So it's really cool to see an ultra budget playable option for Guilds of Ravnica standard. And it's not red because typically (laughs) these decks are red. (laughs) And now we have a non-red option. Uh, that's true. Although Mono Red is definitely still around. It's actually the number one deck on the metagame page still. So it, it is still there. I think that maybe the Golgari emergence might keep it down a little bit because, boy, does that deck not like Wild Growth Walker and Explorer Creatures. It's so <laughs> good against the red deck. Uh, all right, let's move on from Standard and uh, talk about some product releases. We got last week Mythic Edition released, and Richard, why don't you tell us about this, because I was the smart one who was just like, I know this is going to be a disaster, I'm not even going to try to order it. You were actually trying to get Mythic Edition, right? Uh, remember when we were talking about this a month ago, <laughs> and I was trying to defend Hasbro, I was like, look, they have so much time to get ready for this, it's not Comic-Con, you don't have to deal with selling My Little Pony and Transformers, their site will be fine. It was not. <laughs> uh, you know, they said, I forgot what time it was. It was like supposed to be like 10 o'clock or something was supposed to go up. Everyone was sitting there clicking. Nothing went up. They released a statement saying, oh, it's not up. We can't get it up. It'll be up soon. It goes up. You can't check out. Uh, you do the fake checkout. So I personally actually managed to check out after, I don't know, two hours, two and a half hours, trying to get some 
uh, Mythic Editions for the YouTube channel. And then, of course, the next day I get the email that says, oh, we had a problem with your order. Uh, you didn't actually order anything, but don't worry, we'll fix it. Uh, you know, we'll send you a link to order something later. And I still haven't gotten that email to this day. Uh, but uh, it was just a huge, huge mess. And I don't understand why. They had so much time to get ready for this. So even if you dislike their idea of selling only to the US, you know, only through their website, could they at least make their website work? But they did not. And <laughs> hurrah, I don't have Mythic Editions. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, man. It was just so bad. They had so much time to get ready for this. Uh, yeah, it, it was a disaster. And I think the disaster was even worse than your personal experience because, uh, in the days after this initial debacle with people trying to check out and not knowing if they got it, then we had people that were apparently like making phishing calls pretending to be because apparently they sent something out to people saying like, we'd get in contact with you. We might contact you directly about your order. And then there were people that were like doing spam phishing calls trying to get people's credit card information pretending to be Hasbro or Wizards. And then there was a bunch of people, they said you could get two per person, and people ordered two. And then when Wizards contacted them, they said, well, actually, just kidding, we're only going to give people one per person. So it was just like, on every level, it was just a complete disaster. So, do you think they will keep doing this? Like, 100%. everything about it was a disaster, except that they obviously made tons of money in a very short period of time. Like, here's where we get it all wrong, because according to Hasbro, this is a resounding success, right? Despite all of our moaning and complaining, right? They sold out, right? They they crashed their own website due to crazy demand, you know, unexpected demand. They sold everything. Resounding success, right? Claps all around. We'll do it again next time. So, you know, despite our, our views on it, we all ordered it anyway so it, it doesn't matter <laughs> right if we keep buying it they'll keep making it right uh and wizards knows that about us i'm sure they sit there like yes we know they're gonna complain they're gonna they're gonna be upset because it doesn't support local game stores they're gonna complain about our website but they're gonna buy it anyway because they're magic players and that's what they do <laughs> yeah uh so i'm expecting that we will see it at least for the rest of the guilds of ravnica block and i think it could be an ongoing thing moving forward my hope is maybe they will at least change the way they're distributing it. We saw a little change with you being able to get them at GPs by ordering through Channel Fireball. Maybe they'll sell them through their website, but also give local game stores at least some amount or the opportunity to order because their argument against giving it to local game stores, which seemed silly at the time to anyone who thought about this product for more than five minutes was, oh, we don't know if it's going to sell. So we don't want to burden local game stores with this product that might be stuck on their shelves because we don't know if anyone will want it. But now, obviously, the product sold out in a few minutes. It is selling for like double its MSRP. Last I heard, it was like $500, $600 they were selling for on eBay. So I wonder if they will uh, change their distribution model. Or do you think that it's just so incredibly profitable for them to sell it directly through their website that they're going to just keep going down the same path? Yeah, we've heard the feedback from the community. So as of next set, they'll be available on Amazon. Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> or at least Amazon won't crash. At least I'll be able to order it. 
<laughs> oh dear. So so you did not actually get one at this point, or you? Don't- I'm, I'm still waiting for my email, either from Watsy or a phishing email, <laughs> asking me to buy it with a special link. Because yeah, they said, hold on, we're gonna send you a link or something to buy it, and I, I never received anything after that. And this was been like a week or something now, right? It's been a little while. It's not like a day or yeah. two. Yeah, yeah it's, been, it's been a while. So uh, I don't know if our YouTube channel is getting mythic <laughs> edition set. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. I don't know what to say. Well, I mean, I guess I'm glad Wizards made a bunch of money. I'm a little sad about how it went down. But if you got one, uh, congratulations. I wonder, another question about this. How much of it do you think is just pure speculation? Like, out of the number they sold, what percentage do you think went to players who were going to use these cards? And what percentage went to people who are now reselling them on eBay or, like, using them as an investment for five years down the road? I bet you a large percentage are just holding them. Like, even if you wanted these cards, right? Now that you see it's, like, double the price, you can just turn around and sell it and then, you know, buy a standard deck or something, right? So I I, I imagine that you won't see too many of these in the wild, that most people are hoarding them or selling them back on eBay and then, you know, waiting to see what happens. Hmm. Well, I mean, I guess we'll we'll see how it goes next time. We already have what appears to be the art for some planeswalkers that would suggest that we're going to be getting this with Ravnica Allegiance this winter. So I'm expecting we'll do it again. Hopefully it goes a little bit smoother. Maybe they can upgrade their website in the next four months or whatever before the next one releases because it was definitely a debacle this time around. Yeah. Well, let's move on from... <laughs> Wizards debacles into uh, giving Wizards some praise. So we had the Big Jerry T protest, and one of the things that came out of that was Wizards does not do a good job of star building. Like, they have these pro players, these players of the year, uh, world champions, and they don't really do a good job of advertising these people or showing them off or doing anything with them. Well, this week, Wizards announced that leading into the player of the year playoff, if you missed that, right now, Seth Mansfeld and Luis Silvato are actually tied for player of the year. So they have to do a head-to-head playoff at Pro Tour Guilds of Ravnica in November to determine Player of the Year. But leading into that, they're going to have both contestants streaming on the official Wizards channel leading up to it. So, Wizard, uh, Richard, what do you think about this move from Wizards uh, trying to... Are, are they taking Jerry's advice to heart, or do you think this was happening all along? Yeah, not sure. So that they made the announcement. Uh, it's October 18th, and three hours in the morning, you got Luis Salvato playing arena and then three hours a night you have Seth Manfield playing arena I think they're actually just going to play arena like as streamers and then that's it it's not like head to head or you know it's not going to be a big production or anything but I mean arena can't currently support that no (laughs) No friends friends list (laughs) they got the real beta build where you can play against another person you know they have to like I was on the stream the other day and one of the people had to play against me so they're making me like count down and trying to click at the same time as me hoping we'd play each other so they have to they have to do that with the world champions like Luis and Seth sit next to each other like three two one click click oh no no we missed it someone else got in Oh, <laughs> uh, but I mean, it's a start. I mean, how many times have you heard pro player names on magic streams, like as the headliner? So it's a start, right? Hopefully they do something grander. This is just step zero and they have steps one to 10 down the pipeline. If they just stop here, then, you know, it's not enough. 
but it's a start, right? At least we now know who's in player of the year playoffs, right? <laughs> Which before this, I don't know if any of us knew. So it's a start. Yeah, I mean, it obviously does not solve all the problems and everything that Jerry was talking about with this protest and whatnot, but it definitely is a good move, and I think it's a good move in the right direction, and I hope that we keep seeing more of that, more of Wizards, like, embracing pros, player of the year stuff. They've just started using their Twitch channel as kind of like a TV channel to some extent, where they have people streaming on it regularly throughout the week outside of just GPs, so I hope they keep going more and more in that direction, because uh, it's definitely true that the pros are a huge untapped resource for wizards like outside of the pro tours themselves they don't really do much with them like channel fireball and star city games those are the companies that get most of the benefits from the pros because they're the ones writing articles for them and doing their videos so hopefully wizards keeps moving in that direction uh, because it seems like it's a sweet idea and hopefully it generates some hype for the player of the year battle like it's been a while since we've had a tie for player of the year i remember one with brad nelson maybe like four or five years ago i don't remember who he was was tied with, but it's a really interesting, like, head-to-head for one of the biggest titles in all of Magic, so it's cool to see that they're actually advertising it, and at least trying to hype it to some extent. That Brad Nelson race was probably like 10 years ago, Seth. Is it that, is it that long? Oh my <laughs> so god. I remember I'm... when I when I first started playing Magic, like, again, so this is like before Goldfish was even created, right, that I read a book, a published <laughs> book. <laughs> was it? Was it PDF? Someone wrote a book about Brad Nelson's, like, Player of the oh, Year race. Oh my I God, read it. it. So it it's was, gotta be a while ago. It was called Grinder. I remember, yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. the book. I read that book. It was a good book. And, but that was a long time ago. That was not oh. four years ago. Oh man, I'm, I'm so old, apparently. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, anyway, it's cool to see Wizards, uh, making some small steps towards star building, at least. So, yeah. Uh, moving on. We have one other topic before fish mail, and that is the magic bracket. So, Richard, have you kept up on all this at all? It is a very ambitious project that has been going on for two years now, where literally every magic card, when it started back in November 2016, was matched up in a bracket. Single elimination, people vote. We finally reached the top eight, and we're almost to the final two cards for the championship. Uh, so, Richard, have you, have you heard of this at all? Have you been keeping up on it? Uh, so every every week or every so often, I see the thread on Reddit, and I have no idea what it is. <laughs> and on top of that, to make things confusing, Maro does his own head-to-head thing where he has people vote on cards and mechanics and things like that. So I'm confused, but I know we're down to our final cards, all right? And we have Lightning Bolt, Wrath of God, uh, and Birds of Paradise in the finals, I guess? Yeah. Birds of Paradise just somehow beat out Black Lotus, which to me seems like a pretty significant upset. I would have, I mean, Birds is definitely iconic, but Black Lotus, really? It beat Black Lotus? Yeah, I I feel like Black Lotus should just win by default, but somehow. (laughs) What do you you know? What what, what criteria do they use for for voting? Is it just anything? Or is there a specific criteria you're supposed to apply? I don't believe there is any specific criteria. I think you can vote based on. Eh, whatever you want to vote based on. Hmm. But what I do notice is Black didn't make it very far in this bracket. That is true. The top eight, I mean, I guess, so the top eight uh, of the bracket was 
Birds of Paradise and Dark Confidant, and Dark Confidant lost, so that's one black card. Jace first Black Lotus, and Jace lost to Black Lotus, which then lost to Birds of Paradise. On the other side of the bracket, we had Lightning Bolt versus Counterspell, which, oh man, that is, that's an iconic matchup. That is a really good one. And then another kind of strange upset, Wrath of God against Ancestral Recall, and Wrath beat Ancestral Recall, the matchup with Lightning Bolt. So, I mean, I feel like that's a pretty good group of iconic cards. I actually think out of all the cards listed, it might be Dark Confidant, the, the one that I would uh, say is the biggest, like, sleeper to make it to the top eight. Like, Birds, that's been around forever. Jason Mind Sculptor, like, that's iconic. Black Lotus, the Wrath, the Counter Spells, and then Dark Confidant? Do you think that's really that iconic, Richard? Mm, mm, I don't know. I, I feel... I feel there's only one true card that should be the winner here. And let's see if we agree, Seth. Of the remaining cards, what do you, what do you think the winning card should be? Uh, I think it's gotta be Lightning Bolt. I think Lightning Bolt should beat Wrath. And then, I mean, we all know that Lightning Bolt beats Birds of Paradise. If anyone votes for birds in that matchup, <laughs> we already know how that works. So both the birds, we've known that for 25 years, so. <laughs> I was actually gonna say Wrath of God. Wrath of God, I think, is the most iconic card because I don't know we, we've had burn I guess we've had mana I mean, we, we had sweepers but the original art on wrath of god and the fact that it's it references god and it's like wrath of god like it all plays into the history of magic and how it was banned in schools or whatever and then the art is iconic and it's just it's such an iconic effect and we always use the term wrath Right? Sometimes you use the term Doomblade, sometimes you use the term Mana Dork, but you always call a Wrath a Wrath, right? So, I guess you can use Pyroclasm, but I feel Wrath of God is the most iconic card here. Hmm. And the original art is just so much better than original art Lightning Bolt or original art Birds of Paradise. Uh, that's true. The art is definitely more iconic on the original Wrath of God, and that is a good argument that whenever you cast something that says destroy all creatures, like, you just call it a Wrath because of Wrath of God, and you don't call Alanoar Elves uh, a bird. You don't say you play to Birds of Paradise when you play Alanoar Elves, and you, you don't necessarily do that with Lightning Bolt either, so uh, okay, I can buy that. I'm still just shocked that Black Lotus didn't get through. Like, to me, that seems hard to imagine Birds of Paradise beating out Black Lotus? Like, is there really any card that's more iconic than Black Lotus, but... What yeah. about Shiv and Dragon? Where did Shiv and Dragon get knocked off? Ooh. I'm actually not 100% sure where it fell off. I don't know if it... I don't know how far it made it. We j we'll have to investigate. I feel like Shiv and Dragon or Sarah Angel or something should beat out Birds. Like, I remember yeah. as a kid, like, when we first started playing Magic, no one was really excited to play a Birds of Paradise. Like, no one really cared. Same with Lightning Bolt. It wasn't really game-changing. Like, now we know it's a really good card, but back then it was all about the Sierra Angels and the, the Shivan Dragons, and, you know, Wrath of God actually did something really good. So, yeah, I don't know. And I mean, like, it is a pretty spiky list. Like, if you were just going for, like, iconic or maybe flavor, every single one of these cards is definitely, like, a tournament staple level card. So maybe that's, uh, maybe that's what the voters value more is cards that are, are good, but also tournament staples because everyone in the top eight is a tournament staple. But every criteria we've thrown forth puts Black Lotus as the number one card set. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> it's iconic, it's the most expensive, it's actually the best card, you know, it's pack one, pick one all the time. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't understand how it actually got beat out by Birds of Paradise, but it must have been MTG Finance Illuminati. <laughs> must be. Either way, it's pretty sweet. Like I remember when this first started two years ago, and it seemed like such a massive undertaking. So uh, props to the people doing it for actually sticking it out for two full years of doing these brackets to get to the top eight. That's a that is a massive project. There are a lot of magic cards. Did they add the new cards in as sets were released? I believe no. I believe it was the card pool when it started back in November 2016. Uh, so we can't get like a WWE style where like Aurelia comes in and knocks Birds of Paradise <laughs> out of the finals and just ends yeah. up versus Lightning Bolt. <laughs> yeah, like if Verasco Golgari Queen just gets a buy into the top 64 because it was printed <laughs> right before the top 64. I mean, you do have Assassin's <laughs> Trophy, right? If we're talking about hype and playability, Fatal uh-huh. Push, we have lots of cards that could just jam up in here. Oh, that's that's true. There have been some good recent cards. Well, maybe they'll do another one. Maybe you just start over and do another magic bracket with the new cards. Ah, uh, uh, yes. I look forward to waiting for two years to find out how my fatal push <laughs> shakes up. <laughs> oh, all right. So that's the magic bracket. And uh, I think that brings us to Fishmail, kind of a shorter podcast this week. So, uh, Richard, take it away. We finally did it, Seth. Every time we say we're going to have a short podcast, we end up going the full time, if not more. But this week, we truly are going to have a short podcast because we don't have too many fish mail. So uh, if you have questions, send them to at MTGGoldfish with the hashtag MDGFishmail, and we'll get to your questions on air. So first question. It's not even a question, but a comment. Fiddler the drum, have no fear, Seth. Niv Visit showed up in Oath in top eight of the Vintage Challenge. Ooh, that's spicy. I've been playing Nimizit in Standard, and that card is so good if you untap with it. I've been very impressed with it. Like, you have to build around it to actually be able to cast it, needing, like, Sarkins and Dragon Hordes and stuff. But I think that that card has been way better in Standard than uh, people gave it credit for when it first came out, because it is really easy to just untap, wipe your opponent's board, refill your hand, and win the game. And apparently, maybe it's even vintage good. Yep. Uh, Ring White, do you think Path to Exile would be too good to be reprinted in Standard? Ooh. Man, that's, that's a tough one. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say no, but I'm gonna say that Wizards is not going to reprint it in Standard. Like, if you can print Assassin's Trophy, can't you probably print Path to Exile? Yeah, I think it's fine. Like, I mean, it'll be good and played everywhere. But we, all, all the good cards we talk about usually have been, in, you know, outside of like true name nemesis, they've all passed through standard and standard is fine. So it, it will change the way standard works. But I, I don't know. Too good for standard, I don't think is a thing, right? Maybe too expensive or wizards doesn't want to use their reprint equity on it is a thing. But I think we would all survive if we have Path Exile. And Assassin's Trophy is pretty close to that. Uh, what about Black Lotus, Richard? Is that just too good for standard? <laughs> Okay, what what if you had like it's a Lawnmower Elf? Because you can't you can't print Black Lotus, right? They're never gonna do that. What if you had like a Lawnmower Elf where you you tap sacrifice it add three? Do you think they'd ever do something like that? So you have like a turn to like fatal push it or whatever. Uh like Magus of the Lotus. Yeah, yeah, Magus of the Lotus, <laughs> if you will. Oh man, maybe I think it would have to. I think it would cost more. I don't think they do it on a one mana. Maybe you could do it with like two mana. Would might be the the cheapest I could see. At two mana, that's not very exciting though. Uh, I guess that's it's like true. a dark ritual versus like a two mana get three mana card is not too exciting. Uh, 
maybe, but, maybe you could do it on a one mana spell. But it just makes magic games so swingy. Like, if you don't have removal, like, you're pretty much dead as they're untapping and dropping a five drop. And, you know, with today's standards, five drops are actually quite scary. It's not like you're dropping a six six or something, right? It's going to be huge with lots of abilities. Yeah, like, turn two to fairy does not sound fun. Fun to play against. So too good for standard might be a thing, but I think you gotta push the power level (laughs) quite far. You know, restricted cards and legacy banned cards and things like that probably (laughs) would be too good for standard. Yeah, Uh, that makes sense. JC Thacker 21. What if the next Mythic Edition was Planeswalkers with professional photo shoots of MTG cosplayers? Imagine Nyssa cosplay or Ashen Rose on a foil magic card. Hmm. I don't know if I'd like that or not, honestly. Like, I think cosplaying is really cool. I don't know if I would like any photos on Magic cards, though. Doesn't it take away from, like, the flavor or something? I don't know. What do you think, Richard? Yeah, I I feel like this... Oh, what was it? The Comic-Con promos? The the pictures were drawn off of a model of a cosplayer. That's the closest we've gotten. I feel like if they were to do such a thing, it should be a promo to like a cosplay con or something like you know like sdcc promos except it was made specifically for the cosplayer convention because i don't think something like this uh you know should be released widely i think it just appeals to a certain segment and it would be like a cool promo uh you know for that segment so i'm fine with it but i don't know if it would be popular enough to put into mythic edition yeah i think it could be cool for a, a certain convention or something that could be sweet uh, Matthias Weisels. Hey man, I'm interested in playing Black Green this standard. What is your recommendation to build it on Arena? Do you think Doom Whisperer has a place in the Black Green show? Uh, it is looking based on our early results from standard. The answer is kind of like not really. We see most of the black green decks preferring to go with Planeswalkers once you get up to four and five mana. I've seen some. Golgari list or black green list play like one doom whisperer but i haven't seen many that go all in but that said i mean there are some but the the standard tends to be not doom whisperer but at this point we don't really know like we were talking about earlier in the cast how there's so many different builds of green black it's hard to really know which one's gonna emerge victorious and uh, maybe people figure out how to beat the more aggressive shell and then going bigger with something like doom whisperer might be the way like a month or two from now. So I think it's just too early to say at this point, but I'm going to say no for right now. All right, next question. Uh, Ilvamori Green. I like Commander. Fun format. Problem is I want to play with partners in politics. Problem is I don't know how to pick partners that go together. I don't care about colors. I care about fun. That's why I'm here. Ooh. So we're talking about like partner commanders then? Yeah, I guess the original partners or maybe even battle bond partners. Ooh, well, the Battle Bond partners are pretty easy because you can only pair them with each other. Uh, as far as the original partners, I think you're mostly, um, Sorry, looking at partners. I think you're, uh, I think you're mostly looking for abilities that kind of synergize with each other to some extent. So, uh, there's from the original partners, you see some that kind of just naturally fit together better than others. Uh, an example of this would be, oh my God. <laughs> Akiri Lineslinger and the guy, Silas, Silas Red. They both yes, have they both artifact have- synergies. 
So you would put them together. Another good way to do it is they originally came together in certain decks. Uh, so that usually gives you an indication. Uh, the, oh, what's the black green? The Ukiri Usurper, Bruce Tarl. That's always a good combination. The, the big butts life gain one. Uh, but since you're looking for fun, I would actually just look at all the partner pairs and see which mechanics you like to build your deck around. Because your deck is more than just your two commanders in this case, uh, it's all a support card. So if you're looking for fun and politics, I would be looking uh, more towards that. Yeah, look for ones that draw you cards, because that's how you have the most fun. <laughs> uh, Bruce Tile is my favorite of those commanders so I, I would always pair bruce tarl with one of those even though uh boros is one of the, <laughs> the least popular colors uh the last you, oh. you can pair it with another color though and then uh and then you get around that problem that's the beauty of partners and then you never cast your bruce tarl and never play any <laughs> red or any white cards, cards. Yeah. yes yep, yep, i got you <laughs> Ken987793311. I'm looking to get into Moto and get modern reps in. What would you recommend as the best resource on how to get cards, ticks, and interact with bots? I'm kind of lost. Do you have a video on it or anything? Ooh, well, uh, while not specifically about modern, we do have a getting started on Magic Online video that was actually just updated this year. So I would look for getting started on Magic Online for $20, 2018 edition on the YouTube channel. And uh, you can kind of skip over some of this stuff, which is more about like creating an account and whatnot if you've already done that. But it does go through like how to trade with bots and all that stuff. So I think that is probably probably what you're looking for. All right. So that wraps up all of our fish mail. Thank you to everyone who sent them in. If you have questions in the future, send them to at MTG Goldfish with the hashtag MTG Fish Mail, and we'll get to your questions on air. And I think that brings us to the end of episode 193 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So kind of a short one this week, but we'll be back next week. Have more to talk about. Probably a bit of a longer cast, so we'll make up for it in the future. Anyway, Richard, thanks so much for hanging out and do it. Uh, for hanging out and doing it. It's always fun. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. And one more reminder, thank you to Spikes Academy for supporting the show. Check them out at spikesacademy.com. Get 10% off with a cold goldfish. So everyone have a wonderful week. Thanks again. And this is the crew signing out. 